Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became a dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And then there appeared with them Elijah with Moses talking with Jesus. Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them. And from a cloud there came a voice saying, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Then when they looked around, they saw no one standing there any longer except Jesus himself alone. And as they were going back down the mountain, Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about what they had seen until the Son of Man had been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. I am a sucker for before and after things. You know what I'm talking about. A good home makeover on HGTV where someone transforms a goldenrod and avocado-colored kitchen from 1978 into a stainless steel subway-tiled beauty for the 21st century. Or one of those weight loss reels where a poor, pudgy, picked-on high schooler becomes ripped, muscle-bound college kid in just over a year. Or anytime those where-are-you-now things pop up and you can see what child stars from our favorite old TV shows look like as grown-ups. Could have used him in the other one, too, I think, maybe. But the latest iteration of this before-and-after fascination had me thinking a bit about Transfiguration Sunday and Jesus' experience up on that mountain with Peter and James and John and Moses and Elijah too. Sadly, thanks to the power of TikTok and the proliferation of meth and heroin and other drugs in our culture the last few years, these befores and afters are much harder to look at. They show the damage and destruction that these drugs can do in less time than it takes a team of contractors to revamp your kitchen or for a teenager to reshape and rebuild his body. I was going to show you what I'm talking about, but decided against it. It didn't seem right to exploit that kind of sadness and struggle just to make my point. So trust me when I say, if you have not seen these kind of before and afters, they're actually a series of mugshots that police stations publish over time. They show in just a few months' time, or a couple of years maybe, how fresh faces get covered with open sores. How bright eyes become bloodshot and vacant. How beautiful smiles become smashed out window panes, how otherwise healthy bodies lose their hair and more weight than seems possible. And all of that, of course, is only what we can see changing on the outside of a person. And it may be odd, but the reason this made me think of Jesus and this 
transfiguration moment up on the mountain we just heard about is because of the first three words we heard in Mark's gospel from this morning. Six days later. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. Six days later. Even though this amazing, wonderful, miraculous thing happened up there on that mountain for and with those three lucky disciples, it didn't happen in a vacuum. And if you check out what Jesus was up to six days earlier in Mark's gospel, it puts all of this in a different kind of light. See, we don't know what happened in the meantime because that doesn't seem important to whoever wrote Mark's gospel. But six days earlier, right before what we just heard, Jesus had had some pretty hard, holy conversations with his disciples. We're told that six days before today's mountaintop experience, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. We're told that six days earlier, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. We know that Jesus then rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And we know that six days earlier, Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and gave them that hard, holy teaching many of us have heard before. If anyone to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And he also said, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it for, what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? And so on. In other words, the you-know-what is about to hit the fan. Jesus and anyone who followed him, who really followed him and listened, were about to find themselves in some deep kimchi, as my social studies teacher in high school, Mr. Humanin, liked to say. According to Jesus, this discipleship stuff, this following me and fishing for people business can be hard. It isn't always pretty or easy or safe or for the faint of heart either. And it makes me think about this thing that we celebrate on Transfiguration Sunday and the way it might prepare us for the season of Lent that's on the way and how it might prepare us really for life in this world too. Because what happened six days later, where we find ourselves this morning, is that Jesus revealed himself to his closest friends as the next and the best and as the end in a long line of great prophets like Moses and Elijah, the ones who showed up next to them on that mountain. What happened was that Jesus revealed himself in some larger-than-life way as the Messiah and as the Son of God, and all of it was in preparation for what was happening next. And what was happening next for Jesus was even more unbelievable than what happened on the mountaintop. Even with all those ghosts and talking clouds and dazzling white laundry. What was going to happen was that Jesus would be crucified. Jesus was about to share a meal with the rest of his disciples. 
He would be arrested. He would be denied and betrayed by those very same faithful followers, Peter, James, and John, just to name a few. And he would die a terrible death, whipped, beaten, mocked, spit upon, crowned with thorns, and nailed to a cross. And all of this was even more unbelievable than what happened on the mountain, really. Why would God suffer? Why would someone who could heal anyone of anything not simply save himself right from the get-go? Why would Jesus ask the disciples to follow him through all of this only to die and leave them to deal with the emptiness and the anger and the pain and the persecution and the grief that were surely to follow? I think maybe God did all of that in Jesus because God knew that we would know so many people who are going through it. That maybe we too are or will or have gone through it ourselves. And we do, do we not? No people, too many people suffering and struggling and going through it in so many ways. Cancer and cardiac emergencies. Ugly divorces and dangerous relationships. Financial crises, mental health concerns, legal issues. Struggles with aging. Deep, abiding grief. Relentless addiction. Fears, anxieties, and stresses too numerous to name. So, six days later, six days after this hard, holy conversation about his own suffering and struggle, when Jesus orders the disciples not to tell anyone about what had happened on that mountaintop until after the Son of Man had been raised from the dead, I think maybe Jesus wants them and us always to see the mountaintop of his transfiguration and the mountaintop of Easter's resurrection too in connection with the suffering and the struggle of our lives in this world. And I think he was showing that God is with us in all of it and that God is not afraid of any of it. I think he might be saying, just wait until you, just wait until they can see that I'm going through it too. That we're in this together. That I'm going back down the mountain. That we'll all find ourselves coming down from the mountaintops too now and again, deep into the valleys of life in the world more often than we would like. Because whether you're in the throes of a deep, dark addiction or being rocked by a relationship in ruins or staring death in the face, this is where God does God's best work. Not just in miracles and magic 
and up on the top of mountains, but by coming down from the mountain, entering into the broken places and making them whole, finding what is lost, turning shadows into light, transforming despair into hope, sin into forgiveness by changing death into new life even, by a mighty grace that's hard to believe until you've seen it for yourself, which we will, all of us, by the love Jesus promises in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.